Hi, it's Jeff from the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I had a great talk with Derek McLean for episode 36, and it was more than we could fit into the regular episode, so we've got this bonus segment. Now, if you haven't listened to all of episode 36 yet, go back and do that, and then come forward to this bonus. So, we often talk to authors about their writing process. What's your process to record a book? You mentioned a little bit about taking the notes and, and breaking down the characters and such. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to breaking down the characters, when I first sit down with that that book, I also, um, in my little journal, I write down every single every single word, name, place that I have any doubt whatsoever about the pronunciation. And and the more I keep doing this, the longer those lists tend to get, because the more I find out that were that there are these words that I've been mispronouncing my entire life and had no idea that I was mispronouncing them. Such as? And, um, a shoe. Um, I always pronounce that askew. And, and that is, you know, an, an alternate pronunciation. Um, but I'm trying to remember some of the other specific ones right now. I, I, I didn't put you I've, on the spot with that I've, one. So I've blocked them. I've blocked them out of my mind because I, I refuse to remember the, the bad pronunciations, but, uh, but it definitely happens. And so now I'm just sort of anything that I think at all, I could be, be mistaken about. Um, and I've learned a lot uh, over the last year about how to find proper pronunciations and, what not to trust when it comes to proper pronunciations. Um, there's a lot of YouTube videos and other websites that have text to speech and ladies and gentlemen, the computer does not know how to properly pronounce things. So don't listen to those. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, so I write down the character notes and, and I write down all the pronunciations and I really pay attention to, it's really a deep reading of the text, um, to really understand the subtext and to understand, you know, what, what really matters and to pick up on the foreshadowing. And so to be able to give that just the right amount of emphasis and focus, um, then of course comes, um, the, the recording and, um, that can be a process in and of itself. And, um, I'm trying, I'll, I'll skip a lot of the technical stuff, but there's, I do a, a particular type of, recording process whereby if I make a mistake, I flounder on a word, I don't like a take, um, I go back and re-record over it right away. Um, sometimes narrators will just repeat, repeat the line and then have to go back in and pick their favorite line. And I found this helps me flow better. Um, but even then, once you've finished that, then comes all of the editing and the processing and, and the formatting and, that'll sort of come down to the budget of the project. If the budget allows, I like to outsource all of the, the technical stuff to people who have been doing it for decades. Um, and if the budget doesn't allow, then, then I get hands in and, and sort of a, a do it yourself editing process. How long does a book take? I mean, let, let's lose, use TJ's as an example. Um, well, let's not do that. Cause Derek ran a bit behind schedule on that. Um, (laughs) So in general, um, actual recording, the actual process of recording the book, um, it might take two, two and a half hours per one hour of finished 
actual completed audio. Um, and that's from different things such as just the basic warm-up process to doing multiple takes to, to going back and checking things. Um, when you hit that one sentence that's an accidental tongue twister in the book and, and you just got to keep – and you finally plow through it but then you listen to it and you're just overemphasizing every word and so you've got to go back and do it again. Um, but then there's, you know, there's also the time in, in initially reading through uh, through the book and taking those notes and then of course the editing and production. And so when everything's said and done, it can easily take about, um, eight hours of, of actual work per finished hour of completed audio. And, um, then on top of that, <laughs> as far as an actual time frame, when you're setting deadlines and, and, and figuring out your production schedule, to be able to account for things like, um, as, as much as I love my booth that I've set up, I still can't record through a thunderstorm. Um, there's still certain weather conditions that will just cause extraneous noises that can't be taken out. And so I just fundamentally can't record. Um, if I get a head cold, um, unless every single character and the narrator in the book have a head cold, I've got to stop recording. And um, so, so being able to anticipate delays like that that can suddenly put that in, as well as just there's, there's a natural constraint in how much you can record in a given day. Um, because after a while, you're just going to hit a certain degree of vocal fatigue. And if you try and push through that, um, then you end up with these very, very different sounding audio. And you might not notice it when you're listening to it and there's that gradual change. But when chapter six ends after I've been recording for eight hours and then the next day I start up with a fresh voice on chapter seven, it suddenly sounds dramatically different. And so you've got to be able to, um, to sort of plan for that and to, to allow for that extra time and not push yourself through it because it can ultimately create this disservice to, to the final product. How much collaboration is there with the author as you're going through? That depends. Um, it depends on, on the author and the circumstances. Um, with independent, um, independent authors, I tend to have a bit more direct communication with them. And, um, and, and sometimes they'll, they'll really want to make sure that certain character voices are, are spot on. Um, but by and large, it's, um, set up and it works out best when the narrator really is their own creative director. Um, and part of what we who do, um, do this outside of the big, uh, professional audio houses, um, just like an independent author has to wear all sorts of hats and, um, take on multiple aspects of, of the writing while a published author can just mostly focus on, on writing and then some marketing. Um, we too have to wear all sorts of hats and there's that engineer hat and there's that creative director hat. And so we get an understanding of what, what works in audio of the choices that make the most sense of what industry standards are. And part of our role sometimes becomes communicating that to the rights holder and communicating that to the author. And, um, 
Yeah, so to just be perfectly blunt, sometimes authors can try to micromanage, and that never ends well. Um, so I tend to to try and minimize that and be clear about expectations at the beginning. But um, again, that's not to say that there isn't that collaboration. So to have that initial, uh, most of it comes in in the initial, in the audition. We also submit a first 15 minutes um, when we first get a contract um, because sometimes the audition doesn't give a, um, a full demonstration of what the narration will sound like or it won't include all the characters. Um, and so that's where you have sort of the most back and forth. And then a lot of my collaboration often comes into play after the book's release and with um, marketing and sharing that book out to, um, to the listeners and to the readers. And I really enjoy um, working with authors who are interested in collaborative marketing and um, who are interested in doing, you know, interviewing each other or, or doing other sort of joint, joint efforts. And that's always, that's always a blast. Mm-hmm. Do some th- things get changed in the actual text as you're recording to, because it just works better in audio? Not very often with fiction. Um, with nonfiction, it'll be, be changed more often, um, mostly just because, and it's just little things like, um, uh, with nonfiction books that refer to, you know, you, the reader, as you read this, um, so changing that to you, the listener, as you listen to this, um, and, um, and also in nonfiction, you tend to get more, um, sort of academic abbreviations that you will translate for audio. Um, so, um, IE becomes that is EG becomes, for example, or such as, um, things like that. Um, with, with fiction, there's, there's usually not much reason to do it. Sometimes it can be tempting to, to change things around because it's easier for me to say. Um, and, and other than a few, sometimes I'll have accidental, um, contractions where they're not written in. So I might say, I won't, or, or, um, he isn't instead of he is not. Um, but, um, but for the most part, I really try to strive to stay true to the text as it was written. And, uh, just as, as you know, I don't particularly want authors telling me exactly how to narrate a book. It's not my place to tell authors exactly how they should have written it. So, uh, so we, do our best to stay true. It's only those things that um, that absolutely don't translate, and most of that comes in with nonfiction. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com.
Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Thank you.